Welcome to episode 42 of the UC Architects, the world's most popular exchange link and Office 365 podcast. This episode is recorded on Saturday, August 23rd, 2014. I'm your host, Link MVP, Pat Richard. On today's show, we'll be talking as ever about what's hot in the UC world and bringing you this week's latest news. But first, we need to pay some bills. This UC Architects episode is sponsored by Instant Technologies, experts in enterprise click-to-chat and e-discovery solutions. Instant Technology announces Instant Chime from Microsoft Link. Transform your service desk with Chime and move your support operations from endangered species to to wise enterprise. Start your Chime trial at adchime.com and join the conversation on Twitter via at Team Instant. And this UC Architects episode is also sponsored by eNow. eNow is offering all UC Architect listeners a free $50 Amazon gift card when you install Mailscape for Exchange or Uniscope for Link. eNow's award-winning dashboard help admins quickly and effectively monitor server and uh, servers and create custom reports. Try Mailscape or Uniscope's free 21-day trial, get a $50 gift card, and see how eNow makes admin life simplified. Simply visit the link in the blog post to sign up. All right, and today I'm joined by uh, Michelle DeRoy, John Cook, and Tom Arbuthnot. Welcome, guys. Hi. All right, first up, exchange topics. All John today. Uh, <laughs> How that happened, I'm not sure. But <laughs> uh, first, net, uh, first is uh, this uh, Pellnet. Uh, what is this, and and why do we care? Yeah, um, this is uh, something that was released. The first version of it was released back in, uh, I think, in in April, and then this was just kind of uh, they got updated. And basically, it's a script to kind of go through and validate mail flow and like bus parameters too. So it's pretty interesting. Um, I haven't used it much, but. Uh, myself but it's pretty, pretty interesting just going through the the the, uh, the article and taking a look at it and that's actually so, um, from from technet it was a technet blog, pro, blog post right yeah it's an exchange on the, the uh, exchange team blog came out the 22nd this this updated version yeah so basically you know just like i said it's, it's a descriptive test mail flow validate uh, tls like with with online or or uh, different uh, different uh, you know mail systems. Oh, very cool. For so external connectivity um, into your organization or just internal or? I think you know you can set up any smart host as, a, as an attribute. So I'm, it could just be an, you know any mail to server to server you know SMTP test. Hmm, interesting. Cool. Um, managed availability probes. So managed availability, of course, a feature in um, Exchange 2013. So what's up with these probes? <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, um, it's a, a really good uh, blog that came out um, on the 11th on, uh, from Abram Jackson, who I've seen him speak at, at Mech, I believe, too. So, I, mean, I see him on Twitter quite a bit. Um, but uh, you know, there's there's three main components to it. Again, I wish uh, Mr. Van Hybrid or Steve were on, because if I could talk this way, but it's not good. But um, um, there's three, you know, three core components of manageability. That, the manageability framework, right? There's monitors, responders, and, and and there's probes, right? So, and just, you know, refresher, manageability is something that was introduced in, introduced in Exchange 2013, and, uh, you know, kind of behind the scenes checks a whole bunch of different parameters and components, and will do, you know, corrective action uh, on those. So if, if it detects that um, something's wrong with ActiveSync, it manageability probe for uh, uh, might detect that, you know, be, be looking for these EAS issues, and then, you know, responder might, might bounce the... Um, bounce the uh, the web uh, the IS you know ES virtual directory or something like that you know but uh, so it's basically an article that kind of like you know it speaks of what probes do uh, which probes are recurrent um, that sort of thing how these checks work and how they work with the monitors so it's pretty good you know uh, flashlight into a, a you know a, a core component to manage availability yeah they found the enough uh, enough information on managed availability on the internet because I think a lot of people still find it a bit of a black magic uh, kind of future so yeah i agree i mean it's still you know i mean it's now going on what two years uh since we've heard the first you know because i think it was the first mech where they really started talking about it there was lots and lots of you know sessions uh greg thiel and such uh, on 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 what it is and how, how it works and stuff so i mean there's still i think a lot of mystery of we've talked about it plenty of times in different uh episodes but um, yeah, I think a lot of people still don't fully understand what it is and how it works, and I think it sort of terrifies some people too. But they really, they really, you know, learn like you know. Well, uh, doesn't also come with nice tools to walk you through all the correlating of information and stuff. So 
Well, and that's one, one, one beef I had, too. Like, even in my home uh, 2013 environment, I had an issue where, you know, again, in, in your old school way, you know, hey, my services are up, my logs are clean, the database is mounted, I'm, I'm good, right? No, because availability had my entire node, like, offline. So some, some weird things were happening. I'm like, I don't understand. Like, you know, you know like I said, old school checks, for, you know, in, in your mind, right, are like, okay, my service is running, my database mounted, you know, everything's fine, right? But no, apparently not, you know. So I didn't really even realize that one of my nodes was could have been marked as offline in managed availability. And, you know, a simple, you know, how hard would it be to have a big red box, you know, when you log in to EAC or something, like, hey, you know, you know, like, hey, I think my, my certificates are expiring. Mazel. How about telling me one of my notes is <laughs> offline, you know, <laughs> and, and MA, right? I mean, it would know, be nice if they bubbled that stuff up a little bit. So who knows? Maybe, maybe the next version we'll see some of that stuff. But Isn't um, that what scams for? <laughs> well, it's true. But, I mean, this is like, you know, in-band. It should have been like, and yeah, same thing, like the 365. You log in 365 console, you get all kinds of stuff like, hey, this is happening, blah, 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 right? Um, you don't get as much of that stuff on prem to me, it seems so. But uh, yeah. I'm, not to, I'm not supposed to be so surprised about that these days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, managed availability is, you know, I, I kind of liken that to the self-cleaning oven. You know, it kind of takes care of things for you. But, you know, if, you, if you're a long-time exchange admin, especially, you know, um, somebody who's, who's deeply involved in the product, um, you like kind of having that, that control over things. And some people think... Oh, this is kind of, you know, I don't, it's doing things I don't necessarily want it to do when it does it, um, things like that. But for the most part, I think, um, I think it's a great idea that, you know, it's able to kind of fix things for you and kind of figure things out. But you're right, it would be nice if it told you that it was fixing things. So, all right, uh, link topics. Um, a new script by Tom. Tom, tell us about this uh, Skype for desktop settings. Sure, yeah, so this is, um, so I've formatted my machine and formatted a few machines recently. Um, and I always stick Skype uh, on my machines as well as a link for family stuff and bits and pieces. Um, and I got bored of having to click all the various settings to turn off the ads and, and make it like a proper IAM client with multiple windows and all that good stuff. Um, so I had a quick dig around and turns out all the Skype settings are just in an XML file. Um, so it only took a, a, a little bit of effort to write a PowerShell script that runs through that XML file and sets Skype up the way I like setting it up. Um, so now when I install Skype on a machine, I can just run that PowerShell script and it sets it to multiple windows for IM, turns off the promotions um, and a few other bits and pieces that I like. Sweet. I like turning off those promotions and stuff, although admittedly I don't use uh, Skype terribly often, but um, cool, good stuff. I'll have, to, I'll have to take a look at that because I haven't done a lot with using PowerShell to manipulate XML. I've got an idea in my head I'm going to have to use uh, XML for, so uh, I'll have to steal some yeah. of your code. PowerShell is awesome for XML. I've got I've got a script on the back burner around the topology as well, but because it's all XML based, and once you get into it, you can just uh, run through XML files in kind of natively in PowerShell. So it's uh, definitely worth looking at. Yeah, and I know um, Chris Cook who does the uh, the link environment uh, script. Um, yeah, where's he been? <laughs> he's, he's, I need an update, man. <laughs> he's got something coming out that's going to be pretty cool, cool. for, uh, for awesome. exchange guys. But um, you know, he's he's. I've talked to him about some of the stuff he's doing, you know, during his regular job, and he's he's reading the topology and able to do all kinds of cool stuff too. So, um, so cool, nice. I'll have to check that out. Next up, uh, a new firmware for LPE devices, Link Phone Edition devices. So uh, unlike uh, the last update, this one does include updates for all four families of the LPE devices, so the Astra, the HP, uh, and the uh, both families of the um, Polycom stuff. So uh, a big update or a big uh, uh, feature change that comes out with this uh, is uh, a change, a, a potential change in um, behavior for locking the phones. So, um, Tom, you were we were talking about this earlier. Um, shed some light on this for us. Yeah, so this is interesting. So for, for LPE, for linked phones, we haven't had any feature updates for quite a while. Um, and now uh, two come along at once. So the first one is um, none of us have actually tested this yet. So being open and honest with everybody, it only came out a few days ago. So it's uh, you'll see blog posts coming up next week, I suspect, on it. But there's an option now to set policy so that when your phone locks, 
i.e. you lock your desktop screen or you walk away from your phone if you're not uh, tethered. It sets it into lock mode. Now, traditionally, that would just hide your personal user data. So it would hide the access to your um, personal contacts and to your calendar. Um, but somebody could still pick up the phone and make a call. Um, and apparently with this new patch and policy, you can set it so the lock actually prevents people from making calls. Um, the exception being if you've properly defined uh, your 911 route, then that will still be allowed to be made, but everything else will be blocked. Um, so this is interesting because it's something that people have asked for in the past, things like, well, once the office is closed, the cleaners are here, but we don't want them to be able to use the phones. It's never been a massive blocker, to be honest, because I haven't seen many people put that functionality on any phone system, um, but it was always an ask, and uh, now it appears to be there. So so let me, let me ask a question um, to kind of make a left turn here. If under the traditional behavior, if you walked away from your machine and your phone locked and it hid your personal data, if somebody made a call, who does that get logged in as in the monitoring database? It gets logged in as the user that walked away, right? Yeah, it's, it still presents as you. Um, and and uh, theoretically, someone can phone internally of your organization and appear to be you or appear to be from your extension. Right. Um, but much like an old phone system would as well, you know, it's, it's not any different in behavior in that respect. Right. Uh, next up, a, um, a client side update for, um, for Link, a desktop sharing update. So this one gives us uh, some features where we can kind of get away from uh, a big complaint that people have had when they've come over from the WebEx side um, now with, um, you know, uh, video being shared and it being kind of jerky because of the low frame rate um, or the low bandwidth uh, utilization. So now there's an update out and and uh, you can adjust uh, uh, bandwidth availability for uh, those clients. And I've seen some side-by-side -side YouTube videos that demonstrated the before and after of setting this property and there was quite a noticeable difference. Tom, have you, uh, have you looked at that at all? Yeah, no, I know, um, I think Randy was rallying to get us to set this internally to see what the difference was. Um, but a credit to uh, is it, it's Michael Lamontag who's done his blog post on the before and afters mm -hmm. um, is a noticeable difference. I think that the business need um, that I've seen is less about sharing video because ideally you want to be doing that with WAC really because um, that's more efficient. Right. Um, but it's things like CAD CAM uh, engineers and they already they get all the PC and all the bandwidth. They get everything they need because data is their life. Um, but they want to use desktop sharing to share designs and spin them around and whatever they do. And, and now with the higher frame rates, you can do that. Right. And of course, the higher frame rate comes with a cost of higher bandwidth. And uh, <laughs> you can chew yeah. up, you know, five, ten megs of bandwidth. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's actually a, a real good uh, scenario, too. One of the things I've uh, been tasked, tasked with recently was, you know, using, I don't know if you've, you know, if any of you out there have used the, the link bandwidth calculator. Um, it's pretty, you know, if you haven't, it's pretty elaborate, you know, uh, um, spreadsheet Microsoft put out for trying to get an idea and handle on, on you know, how much bandwidth it would require for different modalities, different, you can make user personas, of you know. But one of the things on that sheet is that, it, you know, they, they, they build this model with concurrency that if you look at the defaults, um, it's pretty low and it doesn't necessarily reflect, you know, you know, real world scenarios, but it's like in a case of I'm trying to model some, some some stuff, and you know, we found that desktop sharing was way more you know in use and with higher you know like you know the the average what's the average desktop size and now you know in terms of resolution nowadays we're talking about at least 1600 right? But you know I mean you know you think about like back in the day where you only had to worry about 1024 you know, but now I mean people are going to have you know tw you know high res displays at 1080p or not. So I mean these things really do matter. You have to really kind of like you know think about that. So um, desktop sharing um, as a modality is, you know, probably in use. It depends on the different nature of the company, but probably more than any I, I, I found. Right, and and the the update came out as a result of uh, CU5, I believe, didn't it? Uh, um, Tom, are you aware of that? that 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 policy setting came out in CU5, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so um, so it was in there. The the bits were to 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 enable that were were there a while back, right? In like the last the last October, I thought, but you couldn't enable it until now. Is that because I was kind of confused with Scott's post? Like, well, I thought we could do this, but but you know, or, or it was you know the bits were there, but like we couldn't turn it on. Is that the case? Um, yeah, I I, I think 
I think it got pre-announced accidentally and then didn't make the cut. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, and there's um, there's actually two settings that you can set. So you you can um, or two parameters, I should say. Um, there's one for like uh, P2P app sharing and one for conferencing app sharing, and you can enable or disable those independently of each other. Um, and they're they're stored in the the um, client policy. So you know if you're thinking about doing this, I I would certainly recommend that you create a new client policy. Yeah. Put a couple of test users on it and set this setting. Um, Doesn't have someone in the script to help you to clone a policy? <laughs> Why? Yes, John. Thanks for the mention there. Uh, yeah, if you need to if you need to create a new policy and just want to clone an existing policy, then um, I've got a script called um, New CS Cloned Policy, which will clone any kind of link policy to a new policy with all the same settings, and then you can just go in and flip these two settings. So save yourself. Yeah, and not time. to be too self-serving. I mean, you know, you you save me a lot of time because uh, I do that quite a bit. Because you know, whenever you want to test something, it's like, oh man, I, you know, the old way was with the whole XML and stuff. Man, your way makes it much easier. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I find myself doing that a lot more now because it's like it's a lot less half a hassle. You know, it's nice to be able to do that to model stuff. Like, all right, let me see. I'll, I'll make another policy, change that setting, and then mm -hmm. see if it affects me. You know. Yeah, and some you know some types of policies like user service policies only have you know two or three settings, but right. you know you get into that's a, actually one of the one I literally just had a clone for uh, to try to figure out why UCS and 365 were just not working the way you'd expect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, client policies, conferencing policies, things have more settings, so that's where that script really comes into play. But I believe I'm going to use it again coming up to um, test out blocking you know certain client types. Uh, from <laughs> from hitting oh, logging okay. in. Cool. Yeah, you know you it's it's per, there's a per use fee on that script. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I should just have a recurring account for, with you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. A retainer. <laughs> um, and, and speaking speaking of um, um, cool uh, link uh, admin tools, um, Anthony Caragall has updated his uh, link common area phone management GUI tool. So if you're dealing with uh, common area phones in your environment and, and want a GUI-based PowerShell tool that makes admin, you know, quite a bit easier, this is the tool. Um, oh, yeah. And the, the big change that he's made now is um, um, you have the ability of modifying multiple phones at one time, uh, filtering by pool, and uh, you can now use it in mixed environments where you have Link 2010 and 2013, and you can um, manage... Um, um, common area phones across those so kudos to him i know that oh yeah just i, I want to pipe in yeah i mean it, you know if you have a single common area phone in your environment you still want to use this tool but if you have more than one you most absolutely want to use it because uh good lord is it make a lot my life easier you know i, I say i send it to so many people that i just I, I know you have common area phones in your environment here here you'll be you'll thank me later you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that makes it makes life so much easier um, I've, I've written a, you know, just a, a PowerShell script that lets you, you know, process through like a CSV file and create a bunch of them. But, um, you know, the GUI based tool allows you to kind right. of visualize Everyone things. Likes GUIs. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, I, when I post on OutGrid View, I'm like, oh my God, is this cool? <laughs> OutGrid View, who knew? <laughs> yeah. OutGrid View is fabulous. Um, because it allows you to change the view after you've run the after you've returned. Well, I even use it like if you got if you got like a thing like uh, with a long set of strings or something. I use Algorithm so I can read the damn thing and instead of piping, I could pipe it to a file or whatever. But if I want to just quick in there dirty, like okay, I just want to stare at this and scroll up and down. I do Algorithm so you actually can you know kind of resize things and see it in a better mm -hmm. way. So and, and sort yeah sort tangent. accordingly. Yep. Um, yeah, cool. Uh, next up, SDN for dummies. John, what is SDN and why do we care? <laughs> well, uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a multi-part article I've been writing. It's something I've been meaning to do for a while. Um, so 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 this is the kind of thing, you know, and, and uh, right before um, Linkoff last year, Jamie Stark kind of came and talked about it a little bit. But you know, it's sort of I think he wrote the first post in in you know, late. Last year, um, or you know, not that far before LinkedIn. So, SCN is software-defined networking. And again, I'm not a networking guy at all. Um, so a lot of this stuff is like sort of way over my head. And I think that's that was kind of the whole point to the article. Like, all right, you know, if you have no clue what this means, like maybe I can help you understand a little bit because I'm trying to help myself understand it. And that's kind of why I, I wanted to write it. And so, and, and I'm gonna I think kind of continue to, to evolve the 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 the, uh, the posts. Um, um, as time goes on, too, as we pick up different things and whatever. But 
So software defined networking is just a way to uh, so there's a lot of things, right? It's, it's, it, but in, uh, and I, I'm kind of just focusing on like what it means to link, right? So if you look at the presentations from, and I, I listed a bunch of those from uh, Link Conference, um, there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of good stuff on it, um, both from vendors and from Microsoft itself, you know, on what it means to link. But so in a nutshell, the, my understanding is, you know, it's, it's sort of a way to only have Link talk between the clients and then the networking hardware to make, you know, quality of service better, right? So, you know, if I'm a link client, I'm sending this information to, the, you know, to the, to the link server, who's then sending it to this this controller app, um, you know, management station sort of thing, which is then talking to the network, the wireless controllers, and they're they're kind of doing the thing on that end. So, um, you know, and 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 you know, in the article, I guess there's multi thing, but but one, you know, I kind of give a try to get a brief overview, but also sort of like, all right, how do you actually install this stuff, and how do all the bits work? Because, you know. Uh, you know, I have a thick head, right? I'm not, I'm not the, the brightest guy in the world. So, like, going through, there's a, there's a chum file, there's a, there's a readme, there's a bunch of different uh, uh, things, you know, uh, that, the, uh, that are provided with the tool. Um, but, um, you know, I, none of, there's a lot of things that, are, to me, were a bit confusing. So I kind of wanted to go through, like, hey, here's, you know, here's what this component does, here's what this component does, here's how they talk to each other, you know what I mean, and just sort of, you know, and some key things I found when you get it uh, set up in an environment. Um, and, um, and like I said, this is actually part of a real-time, real-world thing I'm doing. So, uh, um, like I said, I, I plan to, to update it with some more stuff, like from the networking side, and then, you know, hopefully, even there from like a customer experience side, what it looks like actually, you know, in the in the wild, so to speak. Um, but uh, that's pretty much it, in a, you know, in a, in a nutshell. Nothing to. Yeah, no, I'll just say uh, thanks for that post because it's uh, it's something that's hot on my list as well that I haven't really got to. Uh, play with loads yet but we've been looking at it with um, the aruba stuff with the nectar stuff um, and lots of other people hp as well are tying into that sdn api so it's it's real hot property in terms of it's being worked on a lot and lots of people are looking at it and it really it has the potential to really improve the kind of link experience at scale when you're in the tens and thousands of seats um, we all know this stuff works, um, but you're relying on the network like you are with any collaboration platform. So the ability to take a bit more control or, or get a little bit more monitoring on the network side is, is huge in terms of benefit for uh, for end users and for people managing and monitoring link. Yeah, I agree. And we and we've talked about this probably to death, but still, we you know you can't emphasize enough. I mean, you know, you know, obviously I'm a big fan of link. I want link to succeed. And the number one, hands down, the number one complaint with users with link was, you know. Poor audio quality, and you know, 80, 90 percent of the time, that is a network issue, right? There's endpoint issues. You sometimes, every once in a while, it might be a server issue, but mo almost every single time, it's something to do with networking, right? And it's not even just that, you know, like networking, did, the networking guys didn't do something correctly. It's just that there's, you know, networking is very, it's a nebulous thing, especially when you bring wireless involved, right? So you know, why you can be 10 feet away from your access point anywhere, right? And for whatever reason, the you know, all the, the transmissions want to go up, up, you know, bounce off the roof and go in the other direction than you're in, you know, <laughs> whatever, right? So it's 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 really, really critical to get, you know, more adoption of Link and, and, and happier customers, right, of Link to get this stuff nailed down as best we can, right? And any tool and anything they can do that, you know, is is wonderful to me <laughs> and critical, I think, you know, in the scheme of things. Yeah, if, you, if you look at the network press in general at the moment, it's all about being software-defined and agile and, and flexible and all the major vendors are, are on that story, even Cisco are on that story, although how much they're on it varies depending yeah, on who you I believe. Mean, uh, I think they're behind, I would you know, argue, and, 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 and you know, it's a shame to me because, again, look, I don't care you know, if a company has Cisco wireless equipment, I want them to be uh, on this as soon as possible. It has nothing to do, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not even a religious war at that point. It's like, hey, man, you know, we need you guys to get in, on board on this too because it's, you know, everyone's going to benefit, right? Yeah. It's turning on that and the pressure's on Cisco to follow these standards for that reason. I mean, even there's a there's Cisco PDF for how to configure their wireless for Link and bits and pieces, so they're, they're feeding the pressure to come to the party on that stuff. If you have a link to that... Uh <laughs> Would you send it to me? Because I'd actually like to see that. Yeah, Stolle uh, posted it a few weeks ago, I think, on Did Twitter. Okay. Oh, yeah, we'll, get, uh, we'll put it on the summary page. Awesome. Yeah, put it in the notes. It's a genuine, like, a PDF advisory from Cisco. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Because wireless for Link. They, they cut that. I don't think they can still do the Flash stuff that Aruba can do, but it's just a, a best practice for, for Link Voice, basically. I mean, has any of you guys, like, seen, have you deployed SDN with... Um, because right now it's what just it's it's Aruba 
And HP, is, is their stuff functionally out yet for their their hardware network hardware? Or hardware? Is it coming? I mean, I have no idea. Yeah, I think Aruba has implemented it. Um, and I've, in fact, I've got some brand new Aruba gear sitting here, so I should probably read through the through your uh, article and uh, see if I can put it to good use. Yeah, like I said, I mean, the the, the sort of the third part is trying to get you know, I want I want to do it from the networking side and see you know see it work from the you know network side of things, you know. I know Aruba are definitely doing stuff that's GA. HP, I'm pretty sure, is GA. And, you know, I think it is. And Nectar also are doing some clever monitoring stuff that's GA. So it's, it's, it's real-world stuff now. Yeah, I was talking with uh, Alex Lewis about the stuff from the Nectar stuff uh, the other night. I actually probably ain't pretty anxious to kind of check that out, too. I might try to find a way to do that. <laughs> Good. Well, yeah, SDN, it's here to stay, so... Uh... If you're involved in Link, you definitely need to read up on it and how you can leverage it in your organization to help give a, a better end-user experience. So. Yeah, and don't feel bad if you don't have any clue like, like me. <laughs> <laughs> and yours is a yours is a multi-part article or series, right? So you got uh, two or three parts. Yeah. There, right? And again, people have actually said like, you know what? In some ways, like, but they're kind of like thank because no one, no one, no one kind of wanted to admit it. They had no real clue what what it was or how it worked, you know. And I'm like I didn't either. That's why I kind of wrote it, you know. People were like thanks for doing that because <laughs> I did you know, it was somewhere we were supposed to know, but no one, you know, everyone was kind of afraid to say like I don't know, I don't know what the hell that is. <laughs> right, right. All right, moving along. Um, response groups. Uh, some people like them. Some people hate them. But uh, one of the features that you can do in response group is have uh, anonymity for your agents. So um, if somebody calls into a response group, um, you know, a, uh, an agent answers, but their identity is hidden. Or if they call out, they can call out with anonymity. And um, I think, that, you know, for, for a lot of people, this is probably kind of an unknown area. Um, but it does have its advantages. And I just wanted to point out that um, Link MVP Matt Landis wrote a pretty cool article on, you know, the tips and, and uh, pointers and quirks about using uh, response group anonymity. So definitely take a look at his article. He talks about all kinds about, um, you know, what features don't work uh, for response group agents that are using anonymity, um, some of the quirks and, and things like that. So definitely check it out. We'll get a link to it out in the uh, the summary page. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what you guys experience here. Response groups are, you know, uh, they've come a long way, and I think they're they're awesome. I mean, management and stuff there needs, you know, probably needs to be better. But I mean, companies, this is one thing the companies want a lot of, I see, and uh, you know, hopefully we get more, you know, better work. You know, more, they keep on evolving that piece because it's a pretty important piece nowadays. Yeah, it's you know, it can be pretty powerful. I think uh, a lot of organizations could certainly leverage it some more. There are some quirks. There's that LPE five second delay issue. Um, but, you know, I've, I've implemented it at some organizations and, you know, it works great. You know, you need, uh, um, you know, you want a generic number that people or customers call into and can get routed around. Um, you know, it, it works great. You know, we have uh, uh, my last uh, employer uh, provided third party support for a bunch of um uh, application. So you called in and you'd hit a response group and were able to uh, get to the right person. And it worked real well. And, you know, it's got a lot of features. It's not, you know, a full-blown call center solution, but, um, you know, it's better than, uh, you know, sharp stick in the eye. No, yeah. And I love the, the, the uh, text-to-speech bit. I mean, that's uh, uh, one of my favorite things because you can even, you know, it has language support, even, you know, multiple versions of English. You can have, like, somebody in Australian, you know, read off text, which is hysterical to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and sometimes it, it's it's fun to play around with setting those up because you you kind of uh -huh. have to enter the text uh, phonetically so that it says it right and and all that right, stuff. Right, but, but uh, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, next up, call quality methodology. So um, uh, Jens Trier Rasmussen uh, from Microsoft, who's always had some fabulous content on his oh, yeah. uh, TechNet blog, has come out with a uh, a new article on the practical use of CQM. And John, you had submitted this. Uh, what's going on with this? Yeah, it's a really good article. And again, it, 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 and actually, if we had video, I'm looking at. I have the the, the link call uh, CQM call quality methodology poster on my wall from 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 LinkComp. Shows you what a big nerd I am. But um, you know, if so there was any about, doubt. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, and we talked about this in the past. You know, uh, call quality methodology is a, is a, is a collection of scripts and documentation from Microsoft that comes in the network. What they what they call it, network. Network monitoring pack or whatever for Link. I forget the name of the, the name of it, but um, 
Um, and basically, what it is, and if you ever saw the 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 uh, uh, the, uh, the RAS, the adoption kit, uh, what is it, reliability and success adoption kit or something? I forget what the I'm forgetting a lot of things today. Um, but uh, you know, inside the RAS, there was a um, health and support sort of uh, operational support sort of uh, spreadsheet that you could go out and would query your your, your CDR QE databases and and bring a lot of this cool info in, in a nice spreadsheet, right? So CCAM is similar to that. Um, but it's more designed along the lines of not just showing the snapshot of the environment, but kind of giving things sort of like a you know a quality score and like sort of what they call like a like a pathway, like so like you know trend basically trend analysis too, saying hey you know um, over this time period you know you know peer to peer sessions are failing more 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 often, so we're gonna raise the trending you know toward a bad right, and so you might get a red box or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. Roll out and, and uh, roll out an adoption success kit, Rask. See, I, I knew I, I knew I almost had it. Um, but uh, so, so the CCAM reports are really, really, really powerful and cool. Um, and you know, uh, um, I like to run them on like a weekly basis, and sort of so you can you know you just put them together as a baseline. Um, you know, you, basically it's a simple script, uh, and you can just feed it. Um, you know, you basically feed the feed the script your uh, date range and your pool and and an output uh, f folder and. Um, um, and it's pretty much, you know, it's very straightforward. Um, and basically, you load this spreadsheet and you um, um, import the data in and uh, hit a couple buttons in, in inside the spreadsheet, and it does all this cool stuff. It's really, really um, wicked cool. So the point of, of the article was, so you know, a, a, you know, a real world scenario where using the CQM uh, data really, really helped um, a customer. And so if you read the article, it kind of goes through. Um, you know, basically what the thought process was around that. But, uh, uh, it's, you know, again, I, I use that for the very same reasons, you know, so basically they can look out and say, okay, these subnets are bad, users are using these endpoints, that's another, you know, critical piece that, that it's, it's, you know, it's very important to bubble up, like, what endpoints are people using? Because, again, I can't tell you how many times when people, you know, you have, if you had 100 calls to help us saying, you know, and, 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 the, and the subject matter was as follows, right? Link call quality sucks. If you looked at those 100 calls, uh, and this is actually a real world thing. So we actually had like 150 calls out of one office over like say a couple months and got link deployed. And out of 150, you know, 50 uh, uh, help desk calls that said that link audio quality sucks, over 100 of them were, were somebody using their Connexent uh, HD 2000 whatever, you know, laptop speakers and mic, right? And so like, you know, so, you know, we, we were able to get out like, you know, over two thirds of these, you know, quote unquote, link call quality problems were just endpoint issues, right? They weren't network issues, they weren't anything else, they were just endpoint issues, right? So uh, the CQM can actually bubble that stuff too. So again, again, in the article, they kind of talk like, you know, things that they, they could bring back to the customers, like, all right, you know, obviously the, the simple thing, right? So we, we detect now in CQM that, that you know, the number of calls with a high uh, jitter percentage or, or packet loss percentage is, is high, and here are the subnets that are tip, you know, here are the, you know, the, the worst subnets, right? Um, you can go back to the customer and say, here, you know, you're networking, you know, these, these physical locations might, might have issues, right? Maybe you want to check that networking uh, perspective, right? Um, in this case, you know, implementing, you know, QS wasn't implemented, so we can kind of, you know, using CQM, you can, it's another piece of ammunition to say, hey, this is why you need QS, because see these problems here? This is why, you know, QS will help you with this kind of stuff. So, again, it's a real good article on sort of, you know, what CQM is, but not so much, but like using it and leveraging it to solve real world problems. Cool. Yeah. You can tell I'm excited. My hands are moving all over the place. <laughs> yeah, good thing it's not a video podcast. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I think I think I, I, I've uh, waxed on about this as well, not as enthusiastically or as fast as John. But, <laughs> well, that's that's just, yeah, part for the course, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the CQM stuff rocks, and Microsoft are doing loads of stuff on it internally and taking the time to release it all, and it's, it's a whole bunch of combination of SQL queries which are really easy to do and there's no excuse not to be doing them really um, and then there's some really cool stuff around putting purple on counters which require a little more legwork um, but if you're think you're having issues or you're using virtualization and you think that might be causing an issue uh, they will find the problem you know there's just so much detail in there it's, uh, it's worth investigating yeah and I just love like I mean again I'm you know I'm I'm only you know mediocre with Excel. I mean, the things that you can do, that they can do with Excel to bring all this data in and, and model it and stuff is pretty wicked. You know what I mean? I, I, you know, just for, you know, for something as simple as like, all right, just, you know, the SQL queries that pull into this Excel thing, I mean, you know, if they took the, the you know, the, the, the grid lines out, <laughs> they could sell it as an application, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, because it's, it's really powerful stuff. Well, our monitoring friends could uh, take note of all this free stuff to start including it in their monitoring products. <laughs> Intense. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, we've talked about this a bunch of times, you know, in, in, in the absolute need because of because of the you know all this data and how critical it is to get this data. You know, what we have in monitoring server is 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 is, is okay, right? Um, but you know, the presentation layer, so to speak, of monitoring server is at least somewhat to be desired. This is why all these third parties, like like Avencio, we've talked about, and other companies, I mean, do such a great job at like bringing this data and you know making it much more useful. I mean, you have this big pile of all this QE and CDR data sitting in this database, but you really can't get at it easy. That's the Thing, you know, so anything to help though that is is an awesome thing because you know you really can see what's going on once you get in there. Yeah, and that's that's been one of my issues with um, with the monitoring server. You know, the fact that it uses SQL reporting services. Initially, I was quite excited. I thought, hey, you know, anybody can uh, you know write their own reports, and you know, uh, Matt Landis actually set up a uh, report repository for people's custom um, reporting services reports and crickets. You know, you never saw anybody right. coming out with any custom reports or, um, you know, maybe one or two here or there. But um, Yeah, there's been a few here and there, you know, over over the time. But, you know, um, uh, you know, it's not – I mean, you know, I'm not a, the dev guy. So, you know, if it gets to a certain point of the thing, I mean, I can only do so much, right, with SQL reporting. It kind of terrifies me mucking with it too much, right? But, you know, to me, you know, in you know, all the real world stuff we talked about, at scale, it doesn't really scale that well. So, you know, when you've got a large environment and a, say, monolithic uh, single single reporting server for a large environment, I mean, you know, you basically, you know, just might as well give up. Even just pulling one user report might take 15 minutes, you know, because it's just so overloaded. But, um, um, yeah, I mean, and I, and I get it from Microsoft's perspective. I mean, you know, how much how much dev time are they going to spend, resources are they going to spend on making – you know, the monitoring server more robust, like 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 a third party thing, or are they just gonna say, look, you know what, we're gonna give you basic tools. If you want more, go to a third party. The data's here. You know, um, how you get at it. Here's all these vendors that that do a better job giving, you know, presenting that data. Which I guess I'm fine with that too. You know, but the problem is, to me, and we've said this a million times, and so is Microsoft and everybody else. You know, if you're deploying voice, and I would argue even if you're deploying Blink at all, but you know, you must absolutely put monitoring out, and then. Once, to me, I see it as, you know, as Link Voice gets more mature um, and more and more people are doing it and it's becoming just sort of the standard in a company now, you absolutely must have not only monitoring but probably some third-party tool to give you real-time stuff, that kind of thing. Because it's just like, you know, there's no more miserable thing in the world than chasing somebody's conferencing problem, like, after the fact a day later. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm sure we all had to do that. You know, oh, yesterday I made a conference call and, you know, I couldn't connect and I was on my my cell phone and I was at a Starbucks. And, you know, and I, I, like, okay, here's, there's eight, that's going to take me about 18 hours worth of digging and monitoring server to find, find that info. You know what I mean? Right, right. And, now, you know, now with, you know, 2013 having the monitoring role being co-located, um, I add, I check that box on every installation I do, whether it's enterprise voice or not, just so that you have that data there. And I mean, right. you know, a lot of organizations will already have a reporting server, so you can publish the reports to that server. So you're not adding, you don't have any server sprawl to add monitoring to your environment. Right. Um, you know, unless you go with something, you know, uh, third party, uh, but you mentioned, um, event zero. And of course they recently rolled out their version four of their, a solution and it's absolutely fabulous. Yeah, I know. We we but all, we all know I'm a fanboy and and uh, <laughs> I mean it, it really is that cool. I got to tell you. Well, you so know, if you haven't tried it out, you should because it's awesome. Yeah, and I I'm I'm certainly a fanboy too. I mean, I've been using their stuff, you know, since since way early just like you have and um, you know, if you want to find data um, about link usage in your environment, uh, Event Zero's solution is the way to go, and and they're not a sponsor. We don't get anything by by mentioning them here, but uh, we do have a pretty good relationship with Dave Tucker over at uh, Event Zero, and um, you know for for monitoring, if you want to look at um, call quality, um, you know I think the monitoring databases um, in Link are are a good start. If you want to look at metrics then definitely event zero is where to go. You want to look at, you know, here's here's the adoption rate, here's how uh, device usage breaks down, here's all your call metrics about, you know, um, a busy time of the day with uh, heat maps and things like that. So it's definitely, yeah. definitely a way to go. And now um, they're going to come out with a new solution called the uh, Broadcast IM tool, which will allow you to select like an Active Directory device, or Active Directory group, I should say, and... Um, 
and blast an IM out to them. So, you know, you have uh, your Exchange server goes down, you know, because it's, well, Exchange. Um, <laughs> you know, it goes out. You can you can let your um, your users know, um, you know, that it's down. So something like that. I mean, we've got, mod- at Modality, we've got a solution like that, too, called um, Alert Me, which uh, um, has some pretty cool features, too. But, um, you know, it's nice to see uh, somebody else coming out and uh, looking forward to see what David and his group is doing. All right, uh, next up. Um, Link Server uh, 2013 cumulative update. Um, it's actually called the July update, but it was released, uh, I think, like the third or fourth of uh, yeah, August. Fourth, I think it was. Um, so uh, it finally came out. Uh, there was kind of a delay in it coming out. It should have been out quite a while ago, but um, the rumor I heard was that there was an issue with some of the changes they were making to the Flex Fabric uh, yeah, that kind of delayed right. it. So um, it is now out and, uh, and available for. Uh, for playing yeah and and, if there's anything you know they, they waited for to make sure it was correct uh, probably the fabric bit was probably for, you know thank you for waiting to make sure that was solid right let's hope let's knock on wood too it is solid but yeah I, I mean i just i just did a big big update and uh, no no issues at all so um yeah and and one thing and i i try to mention this every time a cumulative update comes out don't let windows update install it on your servers um and once you do install it, please read the instructions on the uh, the KB article for the update for the manual steps that you have to run after you install the update. There's always database updates that you need to run. Um, and Microsoft is getting better at detailing the entire process that you need to run through um, on the KB article for um, for the cumulative update. And then um, if you need to, you have a, a larger environment where there's a bunch of servers in your environment, I do have a script called uh, getcs uh, update version, which will show you the cumulative update version installed on all the servers in your environment. <laughs> and then another shameless pl- plug, I have another one called uh, getcs database update version, which will show you if your database updates have all been successful. So and I just laugh because like I, I reason I laugh because I literally used both of those yesterday. Um, uh, and, and and again, like, I, I must have had an old version, and it kept on saying January. I'm like, well, that's not right. I, I'm like, I'm like, I pulled ten bucks. I'm like, I bet he has an update. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to see August, damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so so check those out. But uh, you know, my scripts aside, make sure you run those uh, database updates so that uh, you're not going to run into problems there. Yeah, it's a pretty critical bit. Um, um, you see some weird stuff because they're not updated, and you might and it might not be you know clients can't log in kind of stuff, but Maybe some command that won't work. Maybe try well. We try to move CMS over or something that might not work because of the version mismanagement. You'll find some weird bits going on if you don't make sure your backend databases are correctly patched with the you know with the with the with the, the cumulative updates. And again, I, I think in 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 CU5, I think it's really really minor. I think only a couple databases had like a point one update. It was pretty minor compared to other uh, CUs in terms of how much was modified in SQL. Um, in fact, I, it was so few things you actually really had to just kind of squint at it, to, if I remember, to to figure out which databases even got updated, which I don't off the top of my head, but it wasn't much. But still, you know, make sure you do it. Right. Definitely. And do it right. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have made the commit the process a lot better. I will I will give a million kudos to Microsoft over the years because because that was a nightmarish kind of thing. If you didn't do it exactly right, all your databases moved path file past you. You're like, wait, no, don't do that. Yeah, I, I still think that there's there's room for improvement in in the whole updating process. Um, you know, if it if it takes database updates, I get that. Um, but if you run the installer and it installs the updates on say a front end, um, it would be nice if there was an indication. Yes, there are database updates required. Um, you know, click here for information on how to do yeah, it. Yeah, true, right. It should be a pop-up like, or like or something in the in the list of the cumulative updates. Like, all right, you know, update the SQL, a flashing box, something, you know, so yep. you know. Yep. Or, you know, obviously it would be really cool if, if it gave you an option to actually do those updates. But, you know, the, the, the issue that I've seen is Microsoft uses the same KB article to roll out the cumulative update. So the next cumulative update to come out, the URL to the KB article is going to be the same. And that includes the list on those database updates that you that you need to make. Well, the concern is not every cumulative update that's come out has required those database updates. Right. Yet those database updates have always been listed in the KB article. So there's a little bit of confusion there. Is, right. Uh, it's do I, point, do yeah. I need to do these or do I not? I mean, right. There's no usually any telling you like if, whether or not it's been updated, right? I mean, or, or if there's been a SQL update, or, or do they include that in the KB? I don't know if I ever noticed. Yeah, they don't. They just 
they just say, here's the cumulative update. Oh, and you have to do these these database updates, right. but um, not whether it really pertains to that particular update. And and for the most part, there's almost always database updates, but there has been one or two where there where there wasn't. Yeah. And um, and so you know, there's there's room for some some clarification there. I I think they at least we don't have to install them on on, on the SQL Server anymore, right? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I hope we are forever thankful for that because yeah. that was always a nightmare. You know, and and, and I'll, I'll tell you what, that that uh, kind of reminds me of an issue that I, I just went through, um, and I'll say it now, even though it's not kind of on our agenda. But um, so I was building out a new Link 2013 environment as part of an OCS 2007 R2 upgrade and uh, using a, a mirrored SQL solution with a witness and uh, doing the install of the databases it would install all of the databases fine until it got to the LCS CDR database. And when it did that, it would throw an error saying that uh, the account that I was using no longer had access to the master database, and it would just barf right there. And if you looked in SQL, um, the database name was there, but it said uh, restricted user in parentheses next to it. And the database that generally gets created after that is the QoE metrics database. That one wasn't created at all. But here's where it got interesting. When we looked at the logins, all of the logins that were defined on this SQL server, and there was like two dozen of them, they were all gone except for two of them. They just disappeared. Um, and the only two that were left are the RTC server, universal server admins and one other one. And uh, so we, you know, we're looking around, scratching our heads. We had all the logins restored by one of the DBAs. Tried it again. Same thing. Drop the LCS CDR database, run it again. Boom. It's deleting all these logins. Well, come to find out, if you're running the install um, and your rights on SQL are defined because you're a member of a link group, like CS administrator is what we were using. Um, you know, we had SA rights assigned to CS administrator, um, and that's what we were using to, to do the deployment. That was causing the problem. And when we looked in the log file, we could see where it was dropping the CS, um, CS administrator group. Um, unfortunately, it was dropping a bunch of other groups too, including right. some, you know, specifically assigned users and, and things like that. Some of the DBAs. Um, so we we explicitly defined the user account with SA rights in SQL, and then it worked fine. It didn't delete any other groups or anything. So, you know, a a, a point to keep in mind that um, if you're going to use groups, I've used groups in the fat in in the past, but they were not um, uh, those created by um, by link, we just use a, a general security group. That that tends to work fine. But if you're trying to use a CS administrator just to kind of streamline things, you're going to run into a world of hurt when you when you try to do that. So yeah, I think I ran into some exact same thing a while back, and I, I don't remember how many out of it. I think I think we figured out it was something to do with the rights, and we just added a, a an account with you know not not through because I think it was one of those restricted permissions type scenarios. You know, mm -hmm. where the SQL guys are like, oh, you're not going to get full rights on my database. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had no problem giving us, you know, SA rights, and uh, but you know we didn't want to specifically define a ton of people individually, and we and we figured well we already have a group, you know let's go ahead and, and use this and um, yeah no don't do that. Well, and not the total tangent and, and possible rant. Um, when are we gonna get always on support? Because I'm you know it's at the point where the SQL guys are making fun of us. <laughs> You're still using mirroring? Uh, that's like that's like 100 years old. I'm like I know, I know, I hear you. Don't, well, don't you know it's, it's you know it's it's if we look at it from the Microsoft point of view, you know you have a product that comes out and then the technology, some of the technology that it relies on, like SQL, evolves after the fact. It's it's kind of hard know, to go it's kind of hard to go back and say okay we need to make this. Um, this product support, you know, technology mirroring that came so, out it afterwards. Be bad if mirror, mirroring wasn't so damn clunky and weird. <laughs> yeah, I don't like. But there's a lot of things about it that are just strange, you know. Yeah, like if you don't have SA rights and local admin rights on the 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 principal and the mirror and the witness, then running some of the commands commandlets gives you, you know, um, um, inconsistent results. 
Well, it's you... like you know, the first time you go into uh, you go into the you know sequel studio and you see like restoring on the mirror, you're like, wait, 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 restoring what? But it, this is the way it, it you know, it, it's mere you know, it's mere relationship has that word on it. But it, it, it tends to freak people out the first time, you know. Yeah. What are you restoring? Wait, wait, I don't even fail over anything. What are you doing? You know? Well, and if you don't if you don't have the right rights. SA and local admin on those servers, then running those gives you inconsistent results to make you look like there's a problem when in fact it's working fine. Um, and of course, you know, trying to get SA rights and local admin rights on SQL servers in some organizations is like pulling teeth, and rightly so. Um, so yeah, it could be it could be a little bit better. You know, there's there's some pretty cool scripts out that um, give you a GUI interface into looking at you know the mirror status and how things are running and and moving uh, databases back and forth between the the uh, mirror nodes. But it, it could be better. So who knows what the future holds? Um, and uh, last up, a little bit of uh, a discussion around static routes for internal uh, network interfaces on edge servers for Link. So um, Doing this design and this implementation, um, I always have this discussion about what routes to map to the internal um, interface on edge servers. And of course, um, Microsoft has always said you have to route to all client uh, subnets. So every subnet in your internal network that has clients on it, you need to have a static route for that configured. Um, and that's because the clients can talk directly to uh, the edge servers. So this can be either fairly complex or fairly easy. And uh, so the, the solution that, that some people are using, including myself, has been to route all of the public IP ranges to the internal um, NIC. You know, your 10.networks, your, 10 your uh, 172.networks, and your 192.networks. And just route all of those to the inside. Because if you if you don't route a network that has clients on it, then the clients don't get um, that in the client discovery. So if you look up in the log file of, of uh, a link client, um, you don't see those edge servers listed there as a, a potential route. So, um, and that can cause some problems and it might take you a little while to figure out what's going on and you have to go back and kind of change those routes on the edge servers. So, um, you know, just a quick note to, you know, map those, all of them if you can. Um, and Ken Lasko actually uh, uh, has an article up on um, on the commands, the NetSH commands to do the three sub, the three public IP range or private IP ranges um, out to your internal network. And Microsoft has also said you should always use the NetSH commands instead of route add. Yeah, so, that route route adds the sort of the depth way to do things. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and we'll we'll get a link out there to Ken's. Uh, uh, article just to uh, to make life a little easier, but definitely all of your client uh, networks. And if you just do all the uh, the private ranges, you're generally safe, unless you have some um, kind of more complex environment where you have some of those private ranges defined, like in your DMZ. But then, but then the question is, do those edge servers really need to talk to those networks um, to where you might have to define them to take a different route? My, my my experience has been you don't. I don't know, Tom. Have you ever had an instance like that? Uh, no, I guess, I guess strictly speaking, you want edge servers to talk to edge servers. So if you have multiple edge servers against different subnets, but um, I must admit I haven't taken this approach of doing the whole one nine twos and tens stuff to internal. It sounds like quite a nice approach. I've always gone with the actually trying to get the customers to give me all the subnets and then trying to work it out, which uh, now I'm hearing about this approach sounds like a smarter approach, to be honest. Yeah, because, you know, the, pr the problem with having the customer define those is that's fine if the customer's environment stays static. But what happens if they spin up another environment? Uh, yeah, and that's a another good point. Branch you think about that, right? I mean, you know, yep. yeah, they might bring up a new branch and with a totally different, uh, you know, uh, IP address scheme, and you're not accounting for that, right? Right. Right. And, and when you think about it, you know, um, traffic to private IP ranges is never going to need to go out the external interface. So you generally should be safe going to the internal interface unless you've got some natting going on. And then, you know, you got to be a little careful there. But, you know, for the most part, um, you should be safe with all three private ranges. Yeah. And, and uh, speaking of the route print, don't forget uh, James Custon's uh, MyLinkLab uh IP route help, helper tool, which is very handy if you don't feel like typing NetSH, which guys like me don't feel like typing. 
<laughs> or so people like me just can't remember the command. <laughs> I actually, that's one of those ones I actually have bookmarked. Like in, in OneNote, I have a page for that because, well, there was also uh, in exchange certain. There was a, remember there was a, a, a very very difficult testing scenario in a, 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 on-site in Redmond. <laughs> there, was, there, was a, there was a bookmark I had for like a, for doing that because um, he, crazy people might might you know use a command like that to say bust your dag. Just you know, just theoretically, anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. And that's what we've got for um, link topics this time. A couple of events we want to draw some attention to. The first is the uh, scheduled maintenance party at um, Connections in Vegas on September 17th at the Ling Ling Lounge um, at Hakkasan. I think that's where the, isn't it the same place where the uh, link conference party was? That sounds familiar. Yeah, it was at... Uh... Yeah, that's the one I don't think you went to, right? That's the one that... Uh, yeah, I was there at Hakkasan at, at MGM. They had the crazy uh, crazy dance floor going on. Um, but um, check that out, schedulemymaintenance.com. Uh, next up, uh, we talked about this in episode uh, 41, the Norwegian Link Day um, conference in uh, Norway. I will be there. Um, Tom, you're going to be there, right? That actually would be very good, I think. Yep, yep. And um, uh, Stale is kind of in charge of that. Uh uh, Michael and Sirkan may be there. We're still waiting to hear about that. So uh, it sounds, sounds like uh, some fun times. Lots of technical uh, content there. So, um, um, you know, check it out if you can. Linkday.no is the, the website for that. Um, also, TechEd Europe. Um, just wanted to point out that uh, Stale Hansen is going to be speaking uh, there. So check uh, check out the uh, summary page for a link on um, Stale's uh, article about speaking. Um, next up, um, Northern UC User Group meeting is on October 8th, and uh, you can get more information at northernucusergroup.co.uk, and of course, uh, I believe so. And then um, the Colorado uh, Unified Communications User Group meeting will be on um, August 28th, and uh, we will get uh, a link out to the uh, the the article or the uh, the web page for that as well. That's at the Microsoft offices in uh, Denver. And uh, Michelle, you've got some information on who's actually speaking at Connections. Yeah, at Connections, uh, four of us are going to be present and three of us are going to be speaking. There will be Michael van Hornbeck who will speak on his favorite subject, which is hybrid. And he's also having a workshop, a full day workshop on hybrid, as well as a DR session. Uh, Paul Cunningham will be present. He's having a session on database availability groups and active sync. Uh, Dave Stork will be there, not presenting, and I got a, uh, co- going to be co-hosting a session on uh, PowerShell tips and tricks for exchange with uh, Countryman fellow yeah, Vesalius on Thursday. So cool, cool. It's a, it's a UC Architects party. Not really. But yeah, <laughs> no, I believe they still uh, they still have uh, running a, a discount for the. When you're registering for connections at devconnections.com, when you use social 14, you're having a $200 discount, I believe, until oh, the end sweet. of August. Sweet. So if you're still not sure if you want to go, just go. It's in Vegas, so it should be good. Connection's always good because there's a lot more third-party people involved there. Um, you know, it's not a Microsoft conference, but uh, uh, lots of third-party companies. A lot more of the speakers are non-Microsoft people, although there's a fair amount of Microsoft people there. So it's it's interesting to see how other people take approaches to things. So yeah. thanks for the info. So a few, a few events there for you to attend. Hope to see you there. Uh, that's going to do it for uh, this episode. I want to thank uh, all my co-hosts today, uh, Michelle, John, and uh, Tom. And also thank uh, this show's editor, Andrew Price, who... Uh, gets the fun task of uh, making us sound smart. Thanks, Andrew. Did anyone tell me he's actually going to do it yet? <laughs> Does he know? <laughs> he's, the de- he's the de facto guy, so uh, so we appreciate it. I know it uh, can be a lot of hard work. but uh, um, And I want to remind you, the UC Architects episode is sponsored by Instant Technologies, experts in enterprise click-to-chat and e-discovery solutions. Instant Technology announces Instant Chime from Microsoft Link. Transform your service desk with Chime and move your support operations from endangered species to wise enterprise. Start your Chime trial at adchime.com and join the conversation on Twitter via at, uh, uh, I'm sorry, at Team Instant. 
And of course, this UC Architects episode is also sponsored by eNow. eNow is offering all UC Architects listeners a free $50 Amazon gift card when you install Mailscape for Exchange or Uniscope for Link. eNow's award-winning dashboard helps admins quickly and effectively monitor servers and create custom reports. Try Mailscape or Uniscope's free 21-day trial, get a $50 gift card, and see how eNow makes admin life simplified. Simply visit the link in the uh, summary page to sign up. And finally, before we go, as ever, we want to remind you that the UC Architects are online. Visit our website today, theucarchitects.com, or follow us on Twitter at the UC Architects. Be a friend and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the UC Architects. And we have a group on LinkedIn. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, you can find us in the iTunes store, the Zoom marketplace, and in your favorite RSS clients such as Outlook. We also have our Windows Phone uh, 8.1 podcast app. And uh, we appreciate you listening. See our website for links to everything on the show today. And we'll see you back on the next episode with Steve Hosting. Thank you.